0: My sidekick, welcome, men. I'm just so thrilled to be here, and uh, it's got so many of my friends that I invited out here. Probably half the room. It's nice to have a full room, you know, when you speak. <laughs> um, I've done a lot of talks, and when I do talks, and um, David gave me the mission as my topic. I always try to come down with one sentence that, you know, will be the flavor of the talk. And so this is the one sentence that every person can discover and experience their mission in life by experiencing two foundational mulligans offered to them by God. So we're going to talk about mulligans today. And um, what, are the, what are the characteristics of a mulligan? What? It's the first T, right? You blow it in the trees, you know, and then what happens? You, you, you can't take a mulligan, it has to be, has to be offered to you, see, so it's not something you can just go, I'm going to take a mulligan, no, 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 you have to, be, it has to be offered to you by someone, then you get a second shot, you get another shot, now, a lot of guys I play with get a lot, take a lot of mulligans during the round, really should be just, you know, on the first tee, and um, so you're probably wondering why I'm speaking here as a professional golfer about a uh, mission in life, well, it's because in my own life, when I discovered my mission in life, it changed everything. It totally transformed my life. And I realized that I've, I'm walking the kind of life that God has designed me to walk about. And that's what I'm going to talk to you today about is that mission and, um, and help you to gain a better understanding because that's what I'm about. I just love seeing men discover their mission in life and walk with Christ one-on-one. And uh, that's our real mission. Our mission is the same as Jesus. He came to follow the great commandments, to love God as Father and to love His neighbor as He loved Himself. And then He gives us this great commission, doesn't He? To go into all the world and share that great message and make disciples. So that's our real mission. And when you think of the term mission, you can think of it in terms of a, a verb, like you know where you go on a mission trip, you're going and you're, you're going out there and you've been sent by someone, you've been given a task to achieve and you go out on a mission or it could be a noun, it could be a mission. You know, a mission, the Catholics started them, you know, they planted missions, places around the, the world to serve people. But to pursue a, a golf analogy, which I'm about, uh, I'm just going to tell you some stories about my life and... Uh, and how you can experience these two great mulligan gifts and get on mission. And you, when you get these gifts and you begin to exercise them, then uh, your life is really going to change, and you're going to be able to live the life that you were designed to, to live. Now, it seems like just yesterday, Maurice mentioned about playing fifth in the Masters. This was my first uh, Masters I played in. And the last day, I found myself standing in the fairway, Uh, on the 18th fairway, my last hole, and I'm watching up on the green this wonderful South African, a little tiny guy named Gary Player. And he's lining up this 20-foot putt to win the Masters, to shoot 30 on the back nine. No one's between me and them. And as he made that putt, and he went that, gave it that old fist bump, boom, you know, win the Masters. My heart just leapt because... Ten years before that, he fired me as a caddy. (laughs) Huh? And here I'm in the bastards, and this guy's winning the bastards. Now, see, when I started caddying for Gary, he came out of the locker room, and he gave me three giant bananas. And he said, Wooly. He calls me Wooly. In Georgia, they call me Wally. In Japan, they call me Wari. So he gives me these three bananas, he calls them bananas, and uh, he says, I gotta eat these bananas because I have a contract with Chiquita Banana Company, so during the round I'm gonna ask you to pick one of those bananas out of that big zipper pocket by my rain gear and gloves and I'm gonna eat these bananas. So that went really good at Preston Trail and then we got to Houston and he's leading the term at the last day and we're playing really fast and he didn't eat his bananas and I didn't take them out of the bag. So he grabs the bag and flies over to New Orleans, and I had to hitchhike over there. And His bananas didn't come to the locker room that week, but those bananas stayed in the bag <laughs> and got mushed and squished open. And so I'll never forget, the most embarrassing moment of my life was on the 12th hole at New Orleans, and it's raining so hard. And he has his umbrella up, and he says, wooly. He says, get my clean gloves and my rain gear out of the bag because I can't even hold on to the club. And I remember kneeling down and unzipping the zipper, and the smell just came right out through me, right to him. And he goes, what's in the bag, Willie? (laughs) I said, I don't know, Gary, but I think it's... And I reached down, and it was just like tar. It was like glue. And I pulled his rain suit and all his gloves, and they were all stuck together as one mass. And then I heard those words that haunts me today. He's going, oh, Willie. (laughs) Well, that was the end of my caddy career. Actually, he really didn't fire me. He had to take caddies at the next tournament. But, uh, But he knew I had a real desire to reach young people, and I was going to graduate school at the University of Florida because I wanted to be a golf coach. And we got two coaches here today, good friends of mine. And uh, Gary said, well, you know, if you could ever get on the PGA Tour and you could have a platform to speak off of and you could reach so many people, especially youth. And that's the first real encouragement I ever got about playing professional golf, Gary. In fact, three weeks later, when I got back to my home in Indianapolis, on my doorstep was a staff bag and woods and irons and gloves and balls from Gary Player. And 10 years later, I'm standing in that fairway watching Gary win the Masters. I got so caught up in Gary that I ended up birding the 14th hole, the 15th hole, the 16th hole, and the 17th hole coming in. And uh, I had about a four-footer on 18 for a par, and I looked up the leaderboard, and I was going to beat Jack Nicklaus by one shot and be in the top five. And the putt looked like it was from here to the end of the room, but uh, somehow I got it in. And that was one of the greatest moments of my life. Uh, coming out of a little nine-hole golf course in the cornfields of Indiana that had one sand trap and it was filled with dirt to being at the, the greatest stage of golf, that 18th hole at Augusta. But seeing Gary win and realizing that he gave me an incredible mulligan, probably one of the greatest mulligans in my life because, you know, he could have been, oh, man, you know, how could you do that? And, oh, you know, just really, you know, fired me and, or got a new caddy, but, you know, he, he knows Jesus. And that was just a great mulligan that he gave me. And we've all had mulligans in our lives. It kind of hopefully at, this, uh, at the follow-up sessions here, we'll be able to share some of our own mulligans and, uh, in life. And when I met Ken Blanchard, who was a golfing friend, I started sharing with him about an idea for a book called The Mulligan. And Ken likes to say that life is something that happens to you while you're playing golf. You know, you can go through all those emotions, you know, and in life, we really need, we, we really need mulligans. And so we wrote this book called The Mulligan, and uh, it has reached so many people because it's a fantastic story. It's about a corporate man named Paul who's uh, got millions. He's divorced. He's living with a galley. He doesn't have a relationship with his own son, and uh, he's playing in pro-am just to be around important people. And he's playing in a pro-am with Davis Love III up in Asheville. And his mindset is, well, Davis can help me with my golf game. And he doesn't even meet his pro-am partners, and he's a typical uh, high handicapper, about a 13 or 14, that thinks he's a 2 or 3, you know, so you can see his mindset. Well, he's beating himself up. He's not helping the team at all. And on the ninth hole, he hits it up about four feet from the hole for a net eagle and Davis reads the putt and in his mind as he's over this putt he's going I'm going to show these guys who's the real player in this group and as he strokes the ball he leaves it short then he taps it in and breaks his putter over his knee which is a manly thing to do and he looks around and everybody's walked off the green he's all alone he realizes what a jerk he is but Davis comes up and gives him a mulligan he says Paul you know, I've been watching you, and to be honest, you're really not that good to get that mad. <laughs> I've been so tempted to say that <laughs> in some proams. <laughs> and he says, Yeah, I just I've got a lot of problems. I need some help. And he says, Listen, if my dad was here, I'd send you to him because he was my mentor. And my dad used to say that golf. Stands for game of life first. And Paul, if you don't have your life in order, you can't enjoy anything. But he said, my dad's mentor was old Willie Dunn, a 90-year-old sage from Scotland sitting on the porch. And he says, I suggest that you go see the old pro Willie Dunn after the round because he can help you with your golf game. But what you did back on that green probably shows a lot more. You need a lot more help with your life. And so the rest of this story, is a, it's a beautiful story of the corporate man from Atlanta flying down to Asheville to take lessons with the old pro. And the first lesson he gets, he uh, meets him on the porch and says, I'm, you know, Davis sent me here. And he says, well, what for? And he tell me what happened out there. And he shared a story about the broken putter. And he goes, oh, this is a tall order. And he says, when can I get my first lesson? He says, any time all the time in the world I've got for you. How about tomorrow? So they meet the next day, and it becomes this tremendous relationship where the old pro becomes a father he never had and a friend and a mentor. And during that first lesson, he begins to ask him questions about his life. And the corporate man really realizes he needs a second chance. And the old pro says, yep. If you really want to have that mission in life, you need to have the ultimate mulligan, Paul. And he goes, what's the ultimate mulligan? And he says, it's not a what. It's a who. It's Jesus Christ. It's a personal relationship with him. He goes, well, I don't want to get religious about this. I'm, you know, I'm here for some golf. And he goes, I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about a relationship with God. A one-on-one relationship with him. He wants to be your friend. He wants to love you. Well, that starts this wonderful relationship. And through his time down there, as they begin to meet, he begins to tell him more about this wonderful, ultimate relationship that's offered to him. It's a mulligan. It's God's offer of a second chance to mankind. See, he sent his son. It says that he was the second Adam. So he t- tested it out with the first Adam. Well, he blew it in the garden. And, you know, and then he tried all these things with all the Israelites know, all these years. You know, but then they, no one could make it. So he sent his son, Jesus. And uh, so as the old pro begins to share a simple analogy, he said, you see, Paul, we're all going to face God someday. The scripture says it's very clear. We're going to have to give an account for our lives. He's going to look at all of our sins. And in order to gain heaven, because we have a righteous and holy God, you have to have a perfect life. Well, let's put it in golf terms. Let's say that you have a scorecard going right with all your scores, all your your whole life. But you have to turn in a perfect scorecard to God in order to get into heaven a sinless life, a birdie on every hole you've ever played. Well, Paul goes, well, that's impossible. Nobody can ever birdie every hole. He says, no, not even the great Ben Hogan. You know, Ben Hogan practiced until his hands were bleeding. Even when he was 80 years old, he was out practicing. And after his death, they interviewed his wife in Wall Street Journal, and they said, Valerie, what motivated your husband to practice and practice and practice for hours and hours till his hands bled? And she said, oh, that's, that's easy because he didn't see why he couldn't birdie every hole. And she went on to say that he had this reoccurring nightmare that he would birdie 17 holes and he'd knock it four feet on 18 every time and he'd miss the (laughs) putt. And you see, the Bible says that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No one can make it. But what if someone could come and play a perfect round and birdie every hole they ever played and then they offer you their perfect scorecard for your imperfect one, all those bogeys and double bogeys and all those sins in your life? Well, this is what God did. He sent his son to live the perfect life that we couldn't live, that we deserve to die apart from God. But he opened the door and it says in the scriptures that he takes the certificate of death. He takes all those sins that are on our scorecard It says the certificate of death and nails it to the cross. And when Jesus died up there, He took that, the pain of all those sins and was resurrected. And now He comes back alive. And He's here today to offer us a new scorecard. But when you get it, There's no place to put a score down. What the heck is that? That's grace. Grace is no score. Grace is love. Grace is forgiveness. Grace is, I just want to have a relationship with you. That's what Jesus says. I've done it all. It is finished, he said on the cross, see? Everything that was done that had to be done to get man back together into a connection with the Father and to get on mission was done on that cross. And it's just that simple. It's just that simple. You know, I guess if there was a song about a mulligan, it would be, Amazing mulligan, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. That saved a hacker like me. That's a better term. (laughs) So we get that great gift of eternal life by receiving Jesus into our life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the first ultimate mulligan that you get. And it's just by a gift, see? You can't take a mulligan. It's offered. You just have to receive it. Hardest thing in the world for men to do. But it's the easiest thing in the world to do because He did it all for you already you just have to reach and accept the gift and that happened to me at the University of Florida almost 46 years ago when I was struggling beat up by my dad, alcoholic, told me I was stupid and dumb I was never going to amount to anything and you grow up with that and you never get one ounce of encouragement or affirmation and you get become this human doing and you're trying to please him always, it's in the back of your mind, and you never get you're never good enough. And then you get to college and you're a captain of the golf team and then you get in a fraternity house and then you're drinking and you're running around and you hate yourself and you know, you're living two lives and you're living this all American life with a coach and you're this drunk at the fraternity house and and you just got all this shame in there. You don't know what to do with it. So I'm in the athletic council and Letterman's Club, I mean everything, trying to fill that that void up. And I decided my senior year to kind of slip over to a Christian athletes meeting, just kind of curious what, what it's all about. And uh, um, just sat in the back of the room and listened to some jocks, about 10 or 15 guys, and I never said a word. After the second meeting, they knew I was involved as an officer in a bunch of other organizations. They said, hey, Wally, he said, how would you like to be an officer? I was going, oh, that'll look good on my record. You know, I have a Christian organization. You know, I don't have that yet. I said, sure, sign me up. I guess they thought I was pretty smart. There's a scripture that says, he who remains silent is considered wise. I <laughs> said, <laughs> <laughs> you open your mouth. You're gonna... So uh, anyway, uh, I got a call from the next day and they said, Wally, hey, thanks for wanting to be an officer. We've appointed you as our chaplain. That's where the rubber really hit the road. I hadn't been to church. I didn't have a Bible. I didn't know anything about God. I went to church that next Sunday, and they were talking about this guy named Paul. I didn't know who he was from the man in the moon. But I went to every meeting I could on campus. I got the student newspaper. I went to every religious meeting I could go to because I had to do the devotional the next week, and I didn't know what the heck I was going to talk about. Fortunately, the Lord saved me from having to do that first talk because we had a guest speaker, and he was a law student, University of Georgia basketball player that came in and shared about Jesus, shared about that mulligan, said that I could have a relationship with Christ and help me find Christ a week or so afterwards. His name is Andrew Crenshaw. He just retired from Congress after three terms in Washington. He missed all the fun, you know. He's a Republican <laughs> all those years under Obama, but now, He's retiring. I said, you're missing all the fun, Andrew. He says, no, no, we're gonna start playing some golf. So, he's my golfing protege. But that's the great mulligan that's offered. That's the ultimate mulligan. But there's another mulligan, and there's another great gift that I missed for 37 years. And that's talked about in the mulligan book, see? See, in golf, the old pro explains to Paul, he says, see, in golf, golf has always been a two-person sport. If any of you have been to Scotland or Ireland and you see the dunes, you know, they, they have this land that's between the farmland and the ocean, and it's called the lynx. It links, and, and you can't do anything, you can't grow anything on it. And there's just these big, high hay, and, and there's, there's sand everywhere, you know, and that's where they carve these golf courses out of. See, they'd go find a little pocket there, you know, between all the hay and stuff, and they'd smooth it out and put a hole in it. But you had to have a caddy. He'd carry a few clubs, and you'd go ahead, and he'd point you. Here's where the hole is. You hit it over those dunes, you know, and he'd point you where the hole is, and he'd carry a club, and he'd, he'd be your, your partner, your best friend. And so golf has always been a two-person sport. It was designed that way. Even on the tour now, you can see those guys like bones. And, I mean, they've been with these guys. They almost think alike. They're that close, see. And the old process. says, see, this is what's offered to you from Jesus. Not only did he die for you on the cross, but he came back alive. And he said, I'm going to go to the Father, but I'm going to return back to you, and I'm going to send my spirit and I'm going to come into you. If you accept me as your Savior and Lord, then I'm going to send my spirit to indwell you and to give you a whole new life. See, it's not like it's not like a broken club. You know, this is our life before. He doesn't want us to just reconstruct our life and get better and try to be better, you know, with this old body. No, he says... This is what's gonna happen when you accept my son. I'm gonna give you a G driver. This is your life from now on. Look at that, huh? A whole new life. And that's what you get when you accept Jesus Christ. You get a whole, you become a whole new person. The Bible says you become a whole new creation because you're knitted, your soul is knitted with God forever. Jesus only died once for everything. And you get this whole new life. You become this new driver. Or you become another, another club, you know? That's the body of Christ. We all have different gifts, and in the bag, you have different clubs. You have 14 different clubs, and you all have different uses. So the body becomes a, a bag of golf clubs. See? Some of your drivers, some of your putters, some of your chippers. And that's what we're trying to do. You'll do when you discover your mission, is then you'll begin to f- discover your gifts. And then as you meet with other clubs in the bag. You begin to see their gifts and then you work together and then you can play the game together. And that's what's so required about fellowship. you got to have that gift. So how does that look in real life? I found myself in 2004 back at Augusta. On the 18th Hall as a spectator. I heard that it was Arnold Palmer's last two rounds of golf up there, and he was my idol growing up as a kid, man. I I called this doctor up there, Dr. Howington, who I stayed with when I played in the Masters, and I said, hey, I'm coming up. I want to watch Arnie play. Do you have a place I can stay? He says, yeah, we have a guest house. Come on up. So I got up about 5 a.m. Thursday morning, drove all the way to Augusta, Got out there on the course. Arnold just teed off. Man, I'm with Arnie's army. I mean, there's just 5,000 people just stampeding. It was just a perfect, perfect day. And who do I bump into? My mentor, Jim Hiskey, who actually was out on the PGA Tour as a chaplain, and I met him back when I was canning for Gary Player. He challenged me to walk with him and reach the golf world for Christ. We're still doing it. We've traveled all over the world. But I meet Jim, and... Jim says, hey, I want you to meet my granddaughter. She's up uh, behind the 18th green. Can you come up there in a couple hours? Because She's got a scholarship to Furman, and I'd like for you to meet her. So I came around behind the 18th green, and there was uh, tons of people. But there was Ben Crenshaw, who had won the Masters. And he was talking to this spectator that had his little Masters logo on, and they're just talking, talking like that, you know. But there was a, a ring of people, maybe 15 people, surrounding them, and people were pointing at this guy that Crenshaw was talking to. Then I asked Jim, I said, Jim, I don't recognize this guy. Who is it? And he said, it's Jesus. I said, what? He says, well, evidently, you didn't see The Passion of Christ this winter, but that's the actor that played Jesus. That's Jim Caviezel. Here's Jesus in the flesh. Whoa. And people are going, look, Jesus is talking to Ben Crenshaw. Look at, look at Jesus is talking to Ben Crenshaw. But you know, when I looked at him, I thought, well, you know, here he is. But he's like everybody else. He doesn't have sandals and he doesn't have a beard. And he's just talking people's language, see? And that's the way he came originally, didn't he? He came as one of them and he talked their language and he communicated with them. And I realized that that was really the missing ingredient in my life as I had Jesus so lifted up because I had subconsciously put my dad's face on him. And I missed this one-on-one communication this friendship For so many years i was working my can off to serve jesus and even wrote books about it but in my heart i just had this barrier but when i saw those guys talking i realized that's what i'm going to do so i began i just got back in my room i pull up a chair every day and i just imagine him sitting in that chair and i talk to him like he's a golfer and he talks back in my language and this is the beauty of it is he wants to be to us who we feel comfortable talking to and i call this the chair experiment and i just challenge men to do that you know if you don't feel close to christ if you're still trying to earn and serve you've still got that scorecard you're still beating yourself up because you're making bogeys and double bogeys and you haven't experienced that love and forgiveness that he gives us then just pull up a chair and just give him whatever you got And let him hug you. Sometimes I have to sit there and hold my arms out and say, I need a hug, Jesus. I don't feel worthy today. And he will. And that's his greatest thrill. His greatest thrill is to be able to hug his brothers and love them and tell them, you're forgiven. Don't let that beat you up. You know? My greatest thrill is to love my grandkids. I just love those kids. And my own son. Blake, I used to have fun with him because I just wanted somebody to say they love me. So I'd always trick him. I'd say, hey, I got something that uh, I got to tell you. It's so important. He'd say, what is it? What is it? I said, I love you. Because I wanted him to say Love me back, you know. But one day I said, I tricked him in that. I said, Blake, he said, what is it? What is it, Dad? I said, I love you. And he says, I know you do, Dad, but not as much as God loves me. Amen. That's the kind of love that he wants to give us. And it's through this relationship, it's through this mulligan that uh, is offered to us. And that's the second great gift. And when you get into that, and when you have that first gift, when you know you're saved, when you know you have Jesus in your life, and you've made that decision, you're united with him, but then don't miss the second gift, this one-on-one relationship with Jesus. He's there all the time, every second of the day. Take advantage of it. Wow. He's the Son of God. He's God himself. I like to think of myself walking shoulder to shoulder with Jesus, facing my sin together. Because He's there when you're sinning. And He just wants you to look at Him. And then you'll become more like Him. See, I always thought the goal of being Christian was to be, I'm going to be Christ-like. I'm going to go for it, man. And I had my little bracelet. I'm doing everything. How would Jesus? I'm going to do this. See, I was working so hard to be like Jesus. No, 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 no. You know, Christ-likeness is the result of Christ's closeness. There's an old saying that you become who you rub elbows with. See, the closer you get to Jesus, the more you'll become like him. So it isn't effort. God isn't opposed to effort. He's he's opposed to earning, see? Because if you're earning, if you're trying to earn your way, it's already done. Just wants to love you. And when you can get on mission, then you'll get into this at great Amazing adventure, and God will surprise you all the time. I can't wait to get up every morning and just get into this life because I, I, I get so many surprises because I'm looking for relational currency, not money. My greatest thrill is just sharing Jesus with people and giving them a mulligan book and then following up. Well, the most un- greatest mulligan I ever got on the golf course happened in Chicago at the Western Open. I led that tournament a few times. It was called the 5th Major for many years. But I was leading the tournament in 78, paired in the last group with Tom Watson who had won seven tournaments that year. And I'm sticking to him like glue. And I'm one shot behind going into the 15th hole, which they were voted by the players the toughest par 5 on tour because you have to hit a- it's a dogleg to the right and you have to hit a driver to get it out around the corner. But right around the corner, it was a slope like the Daytona 500, you know, a big slope there. And they'd had a drought for weeks, and the fairways were like bricks. And you could take a ball and drop it in the center of that fairway around that slope, and it would run right down that slope where people were walking then into this thicket. So you had to hit it up to the left on this little stretch of fairway, but right in the rough were OB stakes. This is brutal. So I remember getting up there, and you can't see the fairway. I'm taking my shot, and i got to get it up on that little thing there, and I hit it, and I cut it a little too much. I'm going, oh, man, it's going to be down that slope in those bushes. And I hit it in the bushes the day before, May 6. And I'm walking over that ridge, and I'm just going, oh, Lord, help me get it out of the bushes and do the best I can. And then I looked up, and my ball was on the slope somehow. <laughs> so my ball is on that slope, and I'm walking up, and I'm going, what's keeping that ball on that slope from rolling down? I got about five feet away and I looked down under my pole and it had rolled down that slope on that hard pan and it was resting, being held up by this tiny little melting ice cube. (laughs) This is Chicago, Illinois. It's not the Twilight Zone. It's 80 degrees and I'm in the middle of a fairway and my ball is being held up by an ice cube. No spilled cup. I said, Lord, thanks. I don't know where it came from, but I'll take it. The only problem was I had to wait for the other two guys to hit first, and that thing was melting. <laughs> so I got my grip, and I got my shadow over the ball, you know, and as soon as they hit, man, I jumped in, and boom. I think it was the fastest shot in history, and I uh, made a great par, and Watson birdied, and uh, then I birdied the next hole, and at 17, I drove it way down the mill, and he hit it almost into Oak Brook, and then got it over the green, and then chipped in. And that was one of my second place finishes. <laughs> but I close with that story because I don't know where you are in your walk with Christ. Some of you may not even know Christ. Some of you may not even have accepted that great mulligan, accepted that scorecard. But Jesus stands there. God stands there and says, I love you. I just want you just for you. You don't have to perform. You have to do nothing. I've done it all through my son. Just receive this gift. Get, take this mulligan. I'm offering it. And I'd encourage you to reach out. And there may be other of you that haven't made that decision for Christ. Maybe you're kind of the way I was for 37 years. Don't keep trying to strive to be a Christian. You are already everything that you were created to be because you have His Spirit in you and you're this new person. And the Holy Spirit wants to guide your life. But Jesus wants to be your friend and your companion and your caddy, so you just got to give Him everything you got, see? And I'd encourage you, if you haven't made that decision, to, that's, I call it, the great second conversation that we need that's the ultimate mulligan that's receiving his love and forgiveness every day every moment of the day you may want to pull up a chair find a safe place and just give him your life revelation 3:20, jesus says i stand at the door and knock if any man hears my voice and opens the door i will come into him and sup with him and have so every day he knocks at the door of our life and we just open our heart up and just say i'm yours today and then he wants to just walk with you For the joy that was set before him, it says in Hebrews 12, he endured the cross. That joy was brothers and sisters that he could love on, I think. And you have that great opportunity. So we're going to get into mission. I'm going to close up here, and I'm going to show when you get that mission, when you have those two mulligans, you'll be on mission. And then there's basically your mission is the same as Jesus I mentioned earlier, is to love God and love others. And his commission, he's the commissioner, is to go out and love others and to spread the good word. So we're going to be studying next week. The topic is going to be know. Know who you are. Know who this new person is. Know what your mission is. Know Jesus that you're forgiven and that he wants to walk with you. So you've got to know that. That's the basis of your whole life. And then the second one, we're going to talk about grow. Because you've got to grow in any relationship. You've got to have prayer. You've got to talk to God. You've got to look in the Scriptures. You've got to see how Jesus lived and realize He's going to live along with you the same way. And you're going to become like that, see? So you've got to have the Scriptures. And you've got to have fellowship, see? That's two fellows in the same ship. You've got to meet together. That's what's so great about this connect is we need each other. Jesus needed His twelve. And that's what's so wonderful about Iron Man and, and getting involved with a group like this. And then the last one is you got to go. you got to go. you got to go out and be a light in the world, and you got to use tools that make sense. That's why each one of you has a little mulligan booklet there. That's the pocket testament. And so I'd encourage you to keep that in your pocket this week. And if you run into a golfer, just say, hey, I'd love to give you this little booklet you know? and see what happens. Or you may want to pick up a mulligan book, which we've seen hundreds and hundreds of people come to Christ by someone simply giving someone a mulligan book because it really lays out these steps. And uh, that's the way that we we reach out to others. We give them our attention, we we lead with our ears, and we just be normal. Ask normal questions, but realize Jesus is right there with you. The scripture says that he'll give you the words. If you'll just draw people's story out. And if you just show them you care. People don't know. They don't care what you know until they know that you care. And that's just that great second commandment. Loving God, loving others, and then reaching out to others. So I want to close with a prayer and uh, and then I'll turn things over to our buddy here. Dave. Let's bow our heads. Thank you, Father, so much for this day. I just... I just love talking about you because I love you so much. And I pray for these men here. I pray that they would really, that something I said might make sense, that if they don't know you and they haven't received your mulligan, that scorecard, that perfect card for theirs, that they would, would receive you today, maybe even today before they leave this room. It's so simple. You just say, Jesus, thanks for dying for me. I want to start walking for you. I want to live the life that I was created to live. And then maybe you don't feel close to Christ. Maybe that's a conversation you want to have, is just connect with Him. And thank Him for being your brother now and being your, 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 your man that's standing in the gap for you between you and Heaven. And that He loves you. And just tell Him that. And let Him love you. Let Him hug you. And experience life the way it was meant to be lived. Thank you, Jesus for everything you've done for us. Thank you, Father, for sending your son to die for us. And thank you, Holy Spirit, that you indwell each one of us and give us the power and the direction to live our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, David.